the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. You may never have committed adultery physically, but, you know, as Jesus says, and as we'll talk about later on, you know, if you've looked at someone to lust after them with the intent of that, you've committed adultery in your heart already. You may have lacked the courage to do the deed, but you've as good as done it. And sometimes our little secret sins, our little pet sins, our little respectable sins trip us up and ensnare us, or they reveal that we know about God, but we may not know God. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Hello and welcome to the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've joined us today for the broadcast, and as we always do, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, we continue with our study through the Book of Romans, as we will be hearing a message that Pastor Keith has entitled, We All Needed the Same Cure. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to the book of Romans, chapter 2. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the book of Romans that helps us to understand our faith more completely, more thoroughly. Lord, we thank you for this magnificent letter that the Apostle Paul has written, that the Holy Spirit has carried him and moved him along. Lord, we know that no prophecy of Scripture is any invention of man, but God has moved men to write his words. So as we look into this word today in Romans chapter 2, Father, use it to change our lives, to quicken our hearts for you, to quicken our hearts for the lost. We pray this in his name. Amen. All right, so if you are with us for the first time, this is our fifth installment of a series on Romans. Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a group of churches in Rome that had never met him, that he had never visited. Uh, These churches are a mix of churches. There are Jewish churches made of Jewish believers. There are churches made of non-Jewish believers, and then there are churches with mixed congregations. And so Paul writes to them to tell them that he wants to come and see them. They can encourage each other in the faith. And he also writes them because they were planted by different people. They really never sat under apostolic teaching. And so he wants to come to them as an apostle of Jesus Christ, the apostle to the Gentiles. So he writes this letter. And this has been called the greatest letter ever written because it really, when you think about it, 
it explains the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation, even though at that time Revelation hadn't been written yet, God knew it was coming, he knew what he was going to do. And this epistle, this breathtaking letter from the Apostle Paul to the churches at Rome gives you a comprehensive understanding of the faith. Now when we started our series, the first installment was Romans 1 through 15, which really was a portrait of the man of faith, the Apostle Paul, and we drew parallels between his life and ministry and our own. And then we went into Romans 1, 15, 1 16 and 17 for, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of salvation to those who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the righteousness of God revealed from faith for faith, and the just shall live by his faith. We unpack that to understand the gospel because the gospel includes what it takes to be saved but it really talks about how to live and to think saved and that those two verses set the tone for the rest of the epistle and those two verses are going to be explained by chapters 2 through 16 then we moved into a portrait of the unbeliever portrait of the unfaithful that was Romans 1 18 to 32 and we understood why the wrath of God is poured out from heaven on those that refuse to acknowledge the truth, that those who ignore the evidence of his love and his grace and his existence, and those who cast aside his gift of forgiveness and grace. Then we circle back last week and focused on three or four verses in there to deal with an issue that really challenges our age today, and that is the idea of homosexuality, the LGBTQ agenda. And we dealt with that biblically and lovingly, hopefully. Today, we move into Romans chapter 2. And Romans chapter 2 is sort of a transition. And what Paul is doing there is he's saying, yes, we know that these things are bad. People who commit murder, bad. God's wrath and judgment is poured out on them. People who gossip, bad. People who steal, bad. People who practice sexual immorality, bad. People who practice sexual perversion, bad. But then he flips it around on his readers, on us and them, on those people reading this epistle or listening to it read in the church then and there and all of us here and now. And he cautions us about not being too smug, about not being too self-confident, about not being too self-righteous. And he warns us about what I like to refer to today as respectable sins. He tells them, beware of respectable sins because we all needed the same cure. We were all lost. And yes, those sins invite the wrath of God. But do not make allowance for yourself, he tells us in Romans chapter 2. He warns us not to minimize your own sin because you know better. You've experienced the grace of God. These folks haven't. You've embraced Christ. These folks haven't. And you want to be very careful. And what are respectable sins? I call them the us versus them sins. Oh, those people over there, they murder, they do this, they do that. Well, me, not so much. Yeah, I'm a little irritable from time to time. I'm a little arrogant from time to time. I'm a little impatient from time to time. I'm a little snarky from time to time. But I'm not like those people. Those are the those people sins. These are the our sins, the respectable sins. But the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. All sin kills. Yes, not all sins have the same scope of collateral damage. But all sins drove the nails into the hands and feet of the Messiah, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Paul, shifting gears, and this gear shift will take place in Romans chapter 2 and 3 as he moves toward explaining grace and the gospel and what salvation is, he cautions his people. He cautions them to check themselves to see if they're still in the faith, if they really understood grace. And, and he acknowledges, yeah, the wrath of God rightly falls on people because of these things. But you be careful, he says, because you who know these things and still do them in your own way with your own little respectable sins, do you think you're going to escape the wrath of God? 
And his point is not that we experience the wrath of God eternally, because we don't. We are Christ's followers. We've received mercy from God that we didn't deserve. It's not that we're going to receive the wrath of abandonment, where God is going to let us go. It's that we're going to receive, if you want to call it wrath, in the form of the loving discipline of God. God disciplines his, his children as a father does the children that he loves. And he warns us here to be careful because sin never gets a pass. You may not be a murderer, but as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, if you've hated somebody, you've committed murder in your heart already. And Paul is saying in chapter 2, don't do it, don't go there. You may never have committed adultery physically, but, you know, as Jesus says, and as we'll talk about later on, you know, if you've looked at someone to lust after them with the intent of that, you've committed adultery in your heart already. You may have lacked the courage to do the deed, but you've as good as done it. And sometimes our little secret sins, our little pet sins, our little respectable sins trip us up and ensnare us, or they reveal that we know about God, but we may not know God. So in Romans chapter 2, what, what Paul does is he sort of gives us a look into the mirror, and we can see who we are and how we are there. And he warns us to remember that we have no right to any sense of moral superiority, We're not better, we're just redeemed by the grace of God, that we can't look down on anybody, we can only look across the table at them and grieve for their sin, or that somebody once grieved for ours. And he reminds us that because we belong to Christ, we need to represent him better. And so what he does here is he doesn't give us a list, a laundry list of sins to avoid, but what he does is he sort of shows us three mindsets, three categories of respectable sins, of excuses we might make for ourselves that we need to avoid, that you need to avoid, that I need to avoid. And so he he gives us this chapter 2, which really is part of the explanation of the righteousness of God to salvation. And he reminds us of the kinds of thought processes we need to avoid. So what I want to do right now is I want to read to you the first six verses of Romans chapter 2. I'm not going to read all 29 verses, but these first six verses will set the tone for you, and then uh, we can get in and we will cover the whole chapter today. So let's look at Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. There's a therefore there which says, in light of everything we just talked about, is a warning, is a word of encouragement, is a word of challenge, is a word of exhortation from God to us through the Apostle Paul and through the pages of Scripture. What does it say? Therefore, you have no excuse. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you yourself, the judge, practice the very same things. Or you could say the very same kinds of things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. He's saying, yeah, these people deserve the wrath of God. They've rejected his grace. They're going to receive his wrath. But there's an invisible but there that goes into verse 3. But do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Now, it's not the same kind of condemnation that a sinner has without Christ, but maybe it is if the, if the recipients, if the listeners really don't know Christ. Verse 4, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? A lot of times when we engage in a practice of sin, we assume that God's patience is is his approval. 
Or that, you know, we could, well, I'm under grace, so I can do this, that, or the other. That's not really true. Grace is free to us, but very costly to God. And his patience is meant to bring us to repentance. Verse 5, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render each to each one according to his works. So what's going on here is a word of warning, a word of love, tough love, for us to check ourselves, for us to be mindful of where we stand in light of eternity. And rather than give us a list of do's and don'ts, what he gives us is three mindsets, three pictures, three categories of respectable sin that we want to avoid. You know, again, our respectable sins, we always say, well, they're, they're not so bad. They're not as bad as this person. We get into this whole fake comparison. We act like God grades on the curve, and he doesn't. And so our irritability and our impatience and our self-righteousness and our lack of courtesy, we kind of write it off and say, well, you know, I'm still a work in progress, but God isn't looking at it that way because God says, be holy, for I, the Lord, am holy. And so we have these cautions here, these pictures, these reflections, maybe our own little picture of Dorian Gray, if you know the story. And so the first category of respectable sin that we want to avoid falling into is this, outward morality. Outward morality. You could call that the, this type of thinking. I'm okay because she's not okay. I'm okay because I'm not as bad as he is. Is an outward morality. I don't do those things. I've got my own little things I do, but God doesn't care. Nobody knows. Outward morality. Where do we find it? We find it in verses one through six. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, because every one of you, because every one of you who judges... For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. Yeah, 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 these things are bad and and they shouldn't do them. But I can at least think them. I mean, it's not the same. That's what he's saying here. We're practicing the very same kinds of things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. It's a given. But then there's the invisible but. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and then do them yourself that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath on yourself. When I read that, it hurts. It hits a little too close to home sometimes. You know, the things I don't, don't want to do or the things that I do, the things that I do want to do, I don't. Sometimes I think of the stupid things I say and do at home with my family, you know? And I read this and know that outward morality is no excuse. In verse two, Paul says, yeah, we know those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, who choose not to acknowledge and honor God as God, but exchange the truth of God for a lie. They suffer the consequences. He says, but don't forget to take a long, hard look at yourself. Your little rituals and your little outward things, your ability to acknowledge your own sin in the abstraction. Yes, I sin, but that guy really sins. That kind of thing doesn't fly with God. You know, we like to compare ourselves to other people. Years and years ago when I was in the resort business, there were three hotels in competition. There was the Westin, the Hyatt, and there was the hotel that I worked at. And I remember talking to my staff and somebody saying, well, Mr. Crosby, yes, we didn't do so good this week, but you should have seen the Hyatt or the Westin. And I would say, I don't care about the Hyatt and the Westin. It's like personal best time. We're in Olympic competition for survival, and we need to do better than we've ever done before, regardless of how poorly they do. And that's kind of the concept behind, be holy for the I, the Lord your God, am holy. 
Jesus said, a teacher, a student isn't, ab- isn't above his teacher. A-, a slave isn't above his master. God has called us to be salt and light in this community, in a fallen world. And we're not to cut ourselves any slack because Christ paid for that slack on the cross. We're not allowed pet sins. We, we can't take comfort in subtle sins. We can't nurture them or feed them. We can't. And that's what he's warning us of. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, 1 through 5, look, before you go judging somebody else, take the log out of your own eye. Then you can see clearly to take the speck out of theirs. Outward morality. Oh, let me go fix you. I'll get back to fixing me some other time. And all the time, they're always fixing you, fixing you. Fixing you, they never fix themselves. Do you presume on the righteousness, on the riches of his kindness? We can't afford to presume on his grace. To assume that his patience with us is anything like approval. We've been called as believers to a higher standard. A higher standard of love, patience, peace, kindness, self-control. We don't get angry at other people's sin. We grieve. Blessed are they that... We don't hunger for revenge. We hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are they would hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. We're not peace breakers, we're peacemakers. We're reconcilers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons and daughters of God. We can never afford to think we're better because we don't do all those things. We commit enough mayhem of our own, don't we? A really beautiful and sad picture at the same time, beautiful in the sense that it's clear, is in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. You have a picture of outward morality, and you have a picture of a broken, repentant heart juxtaposed and contrasted next to one another. This is a story, this is a parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And it starts like this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Outward morality, the legalist, the Pharisee. Well, I'm not like these people. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Ouch, that hits too close to home sometimes. Verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Watch the verdict here. I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisee is the picture of the outwardly moral man who checks the boxes, who, try, who does all the right things outwardly. But look at his, inward, his, look at his inner man. <laughs> Thank you, I'm not like those people in Romans 1, 18 to 32. Those people, gossips and murmur, or this tax collector here. I'm righteous in my own sight. And what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 2 is, you know better, avoid that kind of outward morality because it could be an indication of an inwardly dead spirit who doesn't know Christ. He says, avoid that. He says, you know, you condemn all these things and God is going to condemn all these things, but be careful that you don't do the same kinds of things. Granted, murder, all this stuff has much greater collateral damage than irritability than impatience, than sarcasm. But you know what? Sin is sin, and sin kills. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you know a tree by the fruit it bears, and he's saying in Romans 2, be careful of the fruit. Maybe nobody can see it, but I can. I can. 
We don't want to presume on the riches of his kindness and his patience. We don't want to assume that we're okay. We don't want to fall into the trap of being outwardly moral and somehow think that that's good enough because God does not grade on the curve. We have no place for moral superiority. We were all in the same boat and God has pulled us out of the boat and we should grieve for those who are still stuck in that boat and want to see them out of that boat too. Which brings us to our, our next uh, category of respectable sin. And this one is particularly a uh, insidious one. And that is pretended neutrality in debate and in apologetics. Apologetics is sort of a pre-evangelism thing where you defend your faith before you explain it to somebody else. And sometimes people in debate or you'll talk to somebody, you want to talk to somebody about Jesus and he'll say, well, you know, I'd like to believe, but there's just not enough evidence. And no, you know, God's not going to hold me accountable for it. I don't know. He's not that unfair, is he? Or you'll have somebody say, well, what about the person living on a mountaintop in the Himalayas? Or what about a young child in the rainforest of the Amazon? And pretended neutrality is the assumption that people don't know better. That people really don't know right and wrong. They don't know that they're displeasing to God. Or that what you don't know in the Bible can't hurt you. And you want to avoid that like the plague. It's kind of a self-deception. A spiritual blindness, self-imposed, but it's pretended. Where do we see that? We see that in Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. I want you to watch this. I want you to watch the first statement that God makes through the pen of the Apostle Paul. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. There you go. Nobody innocent out there, right? None, okay? And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So outward morality, you know better, don't do it. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law unto themselves. Even though they do not have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. While their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them, On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. There's a lot going on here, and we can't unpack it all here today. What we're basically saying is there is no pretense for pretension. When it says in the Bible that there's none righteous, no, not one, that there's none who seeks for God, it means that. We've already studied Romans 1, 18 to 32, that God has revealed himself to everybody through all that has been made, that their consciences know right from wrong. You think about it. You know, I just think about my little girls. They're not so little anymore. But, you know, before they did something bad, they always looked around. Why did they look around for Because they knew it was wrong. Why are most crimes committed at night? Because people don't know better? No, because nobody wants to be seen doing this, that, or the other. Why do people gossip in private? Because they know it's God has put eternity in our hearts. He's revealed himself to us. He's made us known. He's made his ways known. We bear his image and his imprint. And he has put in us by nature hardwired morality and awareness of right and wrong. And that's why the Gentiles, and, and, and the Gentiles in Romans is a, is a code word, is a label for those who don't know God or his word. And he's talking to the Jews, but he could be talking to the church today. You know better. Don't do these things. Don't pretend you didn't know. Because even the Gentiles know better. That is a frightening thing. He, he says uh, in verses 8 through uh, 11... Basically, for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, for them there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first, first and foremost, 
and also the Greek, and the Greek means those who don't know, those who aren't Jewish, those who haven't received the law of Moses. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. Look at verse 11. For God shows no partiality. God doesn't play favorites. Everybody is held to the same standard, and that's the standard of God's righteousness. Pastor Keith Crosby of the Grace to Live radio broadcast. We do want to thank you for tuning in today and joining us for Grace to Live, as these days are most definitely uncharted waters for all of us, not only here in our San Jose community, but also for believers worldwide. So we want to encourage you to keep looking up. Hillside Church will be holding our worship service 100% online for now. So please remember our website, hillside.org. You can view our Sunday morning service there, as well as to keep informed with updates on what's happening here at the church as we walk through this time together. Just click on the COVID-19 response button for updates on ministry activities, resources for your children, as well as important information from the County Health Commission. And you can also connect with us on social media, the church Facebook page, at Hillside Church San Jose, as well as our Instagram page, at Hillside San Jose. Don't worry if you missed any of this information. You can access everything by visiting our website, hillside.org. We want to thank you so very much for spending this time with us here on the Grace to Live radio broadcast. I'm your host, Kevin Reeves, and on behalf of Pastor Keith and all of us here at Hillside Church, we want to encourage you with our prayer that the Lord will continue to richly bless you and protect you. So please keep looking up And thanks for listening.